You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders within the UK. I'm Ruth Pike. I help connect tech teams with contract tech talent. And today I am your host. Today I'm joined by a great panel to discuss creating high performance teams. Now it's been a pleasure um, being on such an extraordinary panel and I'm sure um, this will be a really interesting podcast having spoken to every single one of you over the last couple of weeks up to a month. Now it's a topic that I know a lot of people have faced over the last couple of years but before we do delve deeper into the topic let's work our way around the room with some introductions so I'd like to know who you are and also what it is that you're passionate about. So David can you tell everybody who you are please and and who you work for? Hi Ruth, um, brilliant to be here. My name's David Maitland. I'm the head of engineering at Premfina. Um, what I'm passionate about is building up people in their careers. I enjoy uh, working with junior engineers and people who are just getting started and helping them go on their journey. Great, thank you very much. And Karim, can you say who you are and what you're passionate about, please? Hi everyone, um, I'm Karim. I work as head of engineering for Swoop Funding, where I enjoy growing uh, engineering teams and individuals. I'm quite passionate about uh, people transformation, both personally and professionally, which I get immense satisfaction. Amazing, thank you. And last but certainly not least, Tesh. Thanks. Hi, I'm Tesh Dave. So I'm the head of engineering for Modern Workplace, and um, within Sainsbury's. And um, so, in terms of what I actually what that means, um, I actually do all the, um, the the interesting things for colleagues, like the manage their operating system, group intranet, uh, devices, uh, collaboration, comms tools. In terms of what I'm passionate about. Um, I'm really passionate about ensuring we've got equal voice um, inside our engineering team. So giving them a platform to share their knowledge and their expertise is what I really enjoy doing. Amazing. Thank you very much, everybody. So now that we've established some context to each of you, let's move on to the topic of focus, which is creating high performance teams. Now, we've got a number of questions to cover. So what I'll do, I'll work around the room. Um, I will state the question and then go around the room for the answers um, to the topic. Um, and then everyone has an opportunity to state their, their take on the situation. So I I'm going to start with David's question for today. And your question was, what role do juniors play within a high performing team? So, David, would you like to start with that and your view? Of course. Thank you. Um, so, you know, as, as I mentioned in my introduction, um, you know, kind of juniors is something I'm quite passionate about and I kind of pour you know, a reasonable amount of my energy into. Um, and I, th I think they play a really important part in any team, um, high performing or not. Um, you know, the first thing to think about when you have junior members of a team is that they're freeing up uh, a lot of the people who are maybe more senior in the team. You know, um, if you're paying someone a premium for having many years of experience, as you typically do with seniors, um, you don't want to necessarily bog them down with the work that typically a junior would be thrilled to pick up, you know, because there's going to be, um, you know, a few things that come out of this. The, the junior needs the opportunity to have that experience to work on um, all kinds of different problems at all different levels. And, you know, to be fair to the seniors, they've had that experience. They've had their time doing that, you know. Um, and the, the nice side effect is that it frees up them to work on more complex problems. And ultimately, that's what you're paying them for. Um, the flip side of this is that when you have juniors that are going through this, you don't want to throw them in at the deep end and say, 
here's a problem, here's, there's no context, go off and solve it by. You want to pair them with someone. Ideally, that's going to be someone who's more senior in your team. And um, that's for the juniors benefit. That helps them to learn the skills they need to do the job. But it also helps the, the senior because I, I firmly believe that as we in any industry, not just in kind of engineering, as we get more and more senior in what we do, the soft skills become really, really important. The the communication, the empathy, the ability to be, you know, kind of outward facing and maybe a representative of your team or your department or even your company, um, either internally or externally, that could be you know, whether talking with a uh, third party vendor or just presenting to the board at all level, you've got to have those kind of soft skills. And a lot of that comes about when you are engaged in mentoring and you're having to ha communicate with someone who doesn't know all of the techno babble and all of the ins and the outs that you do. Um, and so it's a it's a two sided thing. You're helping juniors along the way and doing some good there. And you're really enabling your seniors to um, to upskill themselves and help them get to the next level and do the things that it's uh, kind of, you know, you're, you're paying them for basically. Um, I, I think also there's a, um, you know, if you can look at how the juniors on your team are growing, that's a pretty good measure of how well the team is performing. Um, you know, if you only have high, um, highly experienced people on your team, um, then there's, you know, are, are they just managing everything themselves? Are they sweeping things under the rug? Are they just saving the day every single time? And if you can look at the more junior people on your team and see how they're progressing, see how they're able to pick up things that maybe they weren't the day, the week, the month before, you know, what burden can they take off other people's plates? That's a good signal of how uh, well the team is performing because it's, um, you know, sharing the burden, it's spread around the skills, it's stopping um, kind of knowledge silos and key man dependencies. Um, so it's, I, I think it's a, a good signal of the uh, the kind of, the health of the performance of the team as well. Amazing. Thank you very much. Um, Karim, I'm going to go to next um, to you next, please. So what roles do you juniors play within a high-performing team? To... Uh, that's actually a good question. Um, and I agree with certain points which David has mentioned um, because it plays a vital role in developing the leaders within the team as well because we have a lot of senior people about they don't recognize how they how good they are when it comes to technical leadership or people leadership, all aspects. And also the juniors are kind of um, growing within the team and they tend to sustain the same culture and values how the team is built for the future engineers and developers coming in. It's more like a seed is going within the team that's going to just scale across to the entire organization. Uh, for me, um, the juniors play a vital role in bringing the energy to the team uh, by demonstrating the curiosity to learn with something like even if as senior engineers, we laser focus on doing the stuff, but we need those some kind of the soft elements to bring those things into the uh, into the picture. Whether it can be like a simple task or like big task, the amount of enthusiasm that they bring in the team, it helps in bonding the big together like among everyone within that. Plus, um, for me, it's also important that the juniors um, should have the ability to connect with people rather than communicate within the team. That will have a sense of belonging of them within the team itself. That will help them to get all the people within themselves without the fear of being judgmental. When they want to ask questions or feedback, uh, they can openly talk to everyone within the team as well. Great. That's amazing. And Tash, what do you think? Yeah, so it's a really great question, actually, that David posed. And it kind of um, takes me back in terms of my experience when I first started at Sainsbury's. And the team that I basically inherited was 
a rather small team in one particular area, which is identity management. And it was very much top heavy. So it was just senior engineers, which for me is always a big no-no in any engineering team for all the reasons which you know, David and Kareem have just hi highlighted around things like single points of failure. And it wasn't really until when the team went into their multi-branded team. So we start to consolidate all these satellite IT teams. And, and then I inherited people, engineers into the team who were, who were junior. That actually, that was the kind of like lighting, the light, the lightning touch point where the team were, yes, they were forming a function and we could get change out reasonably quickly. But moving from, you know, that, that, that reasonable level to high performing team didn't really happen until we did actually have juniors in the team. And the reason why is because with all the all, all the great reasons which Dave and Karima just talked about, which is it's an opportunity actually for those senior engineers to share share their learning. Um, and it allows the juniors to start to take take an active role in starting to build, whether it's building code or whatever it is in, in my instance it's more infrastructure related but it gives it gives those senior engineers that opportunity to work on some of those softer skills and to have that have that breadth that they've been like missing so that's when you know we, we truly start to see that high performance happening from, from that kind of like layer um so yeah it's it's, it's really critical for, for me that we do have junior people in the team to be able to do that and and um share that like burden but it was really interesting for me and um, seeing this real life with senior engineers and there was a bit of like puffing and puffing at first when you've got junior people that you're onboarding because it requires energy right doesn't it for, for any engineer to spend that time and to take them take the junior people either through code discipline or whatever it is you know key components of a piece of software it requires real energy to do that and I think that there was a real kind of like self-realization and learning that the senior engineers like went through that actually sharing that information there is some some joy that can be had from imparting like that knowledge but also it it started to challenge some of that system thinking and design that the senior engineers have done so as they're talking through this is how i've built this they, they, they start to challenge themselves as well and saying oh actually this was done then but now is this actually sensible is this a sensible route now and going forward so it starts to you start to almost get out of that interaction better code design etc you know robustness because they're starting to put more thinking into it as they're talking juniors through how how that landscape is and set up so that's what i saw as a real lived example of actually how much it is important to bring juniors into the team amazing thank you very much so next question i'm going to go on to kareem kareem um so how would you handle the scenario of transforming a low-performing team to a high-performing team? What is the recommended strategy? Um, so, Karim, I'm going to start with yourself. Um, if you want to shine some light on this question, please. Yeah, sure. Um, this is something I've been finding it challenging over the number of years. Um, how do we? How do you first of all? How do you find out a team is low-performing, and how do you find out a team is high-performing? If you get a signal early on, and how would you? Uh, fix the part so that the low performing team are motivated enough so that they can start producing <coughs> results and then increasing performance. One of the things that which I, uh, which I implemented it uh, started working is to based on first principle where we break down the problem as um, as early as possible, not to leave a wider gap uh, till the problem manifests itself to a huge problem, and then trying to figure out 
what it is cause why it is causing at a very basic level trying to solutionize around that particular problem whether it can be people or that can be the confidence level or whether it can be the team attitude or team activity or it may be it's really important that we go down to the lower level of finding out what is the actual thing that is causing the team not to board well to transforming into the high performance one and i would like to hear from other people so how do you have experience on uh, dealing with this scenario in the past and if yes i'm quite keen to hear from you as well like what is the recommended strategy that you do yeah so right okay so david do you want to do you want to um, go in with your strategy then <laughs> Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's there's obviously no kind of one size um, fits all strategy. And, um, you know, I, I think when you look at teams that are maybe not performing well, and the same applies to individuals, really, it's it's usually not the case that they're kind of inherently bad at their job. There's normally something that's standing in their way. Sometimes it's a process, sometimes it's a, it's a person or some other blocker. So, I mean, the first thing for me is to try and identify you know, what those blockers are, what process is broken down. Um, you know, it can be uh, something as simple as, you know, only certain people are able to do certain tasks. So I spoke before about, you know, the key man dependency. Um, if you have knowledge silos or you have people where, you know, if they go on holiday, they tank the productivity of their whole team. You know, that's obviously a problem. Do you have anything like that? Um, you know, also, are there more tangible things that are um, kind of sinking the the productivity and the performance of the team? As an example, you know, does your company issue low spec uh, low spec laptops, and we're spending a couple of grand on a decent um, MacBook or or whatever the choice you know is that's going to make someone productive? You know, will that suddenly enable them to be able to work better? individually as a team with their peers to do their job you know generally you get a return of investment uh, really quickly on little small things that you can you can buy basically just to make sure that there's nothing within your control you know that's stopping them from performing well um i think yeah going back to the knowledge thing um you, you got to look at the processes that you have in place and um if we're talking about engineering you know um a lot of uh, workplaces will have uh, support rotations where engineers will, um, you know, take turns to help out with uh, kind of production issues, pick things up. Um, if you don't have that, or again, if you have key man dependencies and certain people are always solving certain problems, um, that's not spreading around the knowledge that's going to help people to really become the the superstars that they could be. You know, I, I genuinely believe that. Um, most people can do a brilliant job if they're set up for success. And sometimes it just means putting the processes in place that give them the opportunity to do that, pushing them a little bit outside of their comfort zone. Um, and if if you can identify the places where you're not giving people those opportunities, that, that can really help. Um, I think also sometimes, um, you know, people, whether it's a personal thing or it's a culture of the business thing, um, they they don't maybe understand what business they're working in. Um, I've had conversations with engineers before where they will insist to me that they work in the tech industry. They will refuse to admit that they work in the retail industry or the marketing industry or the finance industry. And you know they're they're building something that enables this company to do its job in in an industry that is decidedly not tech. And um, you know, if you if that's the the only mindset you approach building things with, um, then you're not necessarily going to be performing very well because there'll be fundamental things you don't understand. 
not saying everyone has to become an expert in their industry you know that's obviously the job of you know the people running the company but to have an understanding at the very least of the roadmap and what the external factors for who the competitors are what their usps are um, that can allow you to make decisions that will really help the company in the long run help them hit their targets you know if you know that something's coming down the line because you're aware of what's going on in the industry, you can make small choices today that will really pay off in the future, or at the very least will not make your life awkward in the future. Um, and then through that, you, you know, you, anyone looking at the team will say, oh, wow, they're performing really well. And it's just that they've, you know, they've just made themselves aware of what's going on around them. Um, nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. No, do, do you want to add anything else onto that? Are you finished? Or? Um, I, I had a lot of notes on this, so <laughs> I was just skipping through with uh, uh, to kind of see if I missed anything, but I think I've yeah. uh, kind of covered my main thoughts. I'll let Tesh speak, and then if you've got anything else, please do let us know. Yeah, Take I, notes. I'm actually really glad that um, David just spoke there about really, really understanding the environment and the landscape that you're operating in, not technically, but as a business is really important. So what, one of the key things that, you know, I've experienced and particularly because um, Sainsbury's technology department is, is very much a product centric department. So everything centers around that product and value and the why um, and, and the bit that, that I found, which was the key kind of kind of enabler um, going from a team that is, you know, chugging along with like change to really understanding it and becoming high performance high performing and understanding the value is that bit around goals so if we're if we are as leaders are not not crystal clear about the goals that we're going after as a business and why we're doing things um i think that doesn't translate very well at the individual and the engineering level of actually what does that mean to me how can i add the value where is where is my part in that bigger piece of the jigsaw puzzle is really to me fundamental so um, I would say for, for like me and my teams, we really try to like over index on that that goal perspective and what we're trying to do as a team. Um, you know, for, and for me, technically, um, in the last like couple of years, that's definitely been around technical consolidation. So for people and to understand that technical roadmap of, of okay, what what are the the key parts and what what are the bits that you're feeding into that plan to make sure that actually as part of our bigger technical consolidation over the next three years these are the bits that are important that you're going to drive and, and deliver. I think that needs to be like really clear and we need to keep coming back to that page because as we know in any industry, things never stand still or other risks and issues come along, which means actually you can scuffle your plan. So we need to keep going over that, that goal and plan so people like really understand it. Um, another thing for me that, that I found when I was, when I first came into the company um, and we kind of like went multi-brand and started to consolidate all these engineering teams that were silos into one single team, is really understanding at an individual level people's skills. So having a skills matrix and understanding actually from a technical perspective where are the gaps and understanding that for each and, and every individual and building their development goal plan behind it is, I think, really key as well. And sometimes, even, even for me, it was about questioning, actually, is this person in the right role as well? So I have actually, you know, gone down to that individual level and had a conversation that, you know, on balance with the skills, um, is this person in the right role? So trying to find them to fit into the right role, which will ultimately, it benefits 
the individual because they're going to feel happier, happier in the workplace to become much more performant. That's got to be, um, I think, a win-win um, for everyone. Um, the other things that I tend to look at as well, which I think uh, shouldn't be forgotten, is when we're trying to build, um, go from low performing to high performing as well, is building the culture of learning as well. So having the time for each and every each and every engineer to have time for their own self development and training is really like key. Um, so we're really lucky because we do get to have you know basically two 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 full days um, per month where people can you know contribute their time to that. So we try and build that into our sprint planning. Um, and that that is really key in terms of high performing, especially in the technology world, because you want to you want your engineers to keep their technical skills um, up to date and um, as much as possible. Um, so yeah, a co couple of things that just bubbled out to me in terms of like that going from low performing to high performing. What are the kind of things that I've tended to home in on, and they're the kind of things that for me really stand out. Um, you know, in terms of high performing, we talk about because we are essentially product centric and very much agile so we talk about mastery and purpose a lot quite quite a lot in terms of agile practices so a lot of those things contribute towards that I think amazing thank you does anyone like to add anything David do you want to add any more points to that or or Karim um, I think I'll just um kind of chime and say you know I, I was thinking about the, the the points that I was kind of raising and it, it occurs to me that a lot of what I think my viewpoint is, is summed up really nicely in the book, The Phoenix Project, which I'm assuming most people listening to this yeah. will have read. But if you haven't read it, it's um, it's like a Bible on the subject. <laughs> Brilliant. They heard it here first, folks. <laughs> um, you said as well, Tesh, then on your answer that you said about when issues are, uh, issues arise within the team. So I've just got a question in terms of when issues do arise, and that means that you, your team have then all got to be hands on deck to fix this issue. In that instance, how do you then still keep your team performing on the day to day? Yeah, uh, so we, we always kind of like have a, a bit of a rot and a two step process for that kind of stuff. So yeah. For my teams personally, so we moved in the past year to a, a DevOps team as well. So we, we did that first step, which is we're product centric, we're, we're, we're going to build more agile practices in. And then in the past year, we went that step further, which is DevOps, which now means that everything that we build, guess what? We're going to run it as well. So pretty scary, I think, for any team that has been very much used to just developing and then you hand it over to a team so we, we you know we do have to be pretty aware about day-to-day -day managing priorities and what that means and in in any any kind of technical world operational always comes first so anything yeah. from a change perspective it's universally understood that that becomes um, becomes deprioritized so it's about managing managing expectations but you know making sure that um you've given your the, the right tools to not only your engineering managers, but each of your engineers to be able to um, raise their voice. Like, you know, I've talked about, I'm quite passionate about people having their, their voice about things. So giving them that voice to say, actually, this is getting in my way or this is what the problem is. Um, that's how we kind of like try and manage some of these aspects. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Anyone want to add anything? Um, I think for me, you know, when, when issues occur, you've almost always got to accept that there is going to be a hit on the kind of BAU productivity. Um, I think there's a long-term plan though where you can work to minimise that and largely you know it's, it's quite similar to what Tesh said um, you've got to make people responsible for what they're building you know uh, and that involves um, you know either running it as well as building it uh, also supporting it um, and I think as well 
um, and I think back to my time as an engineer, maybe earlier in my career, when I'd um, I'd make a mistake and then I'd realise and I'd quickly fix it and hope no one else noticed. You know, um, if you can have other people um, supporting your work as well, then there's a nice little bit of peer pressure to to think you know to, to do a bit of a better job you know to be a bit more thorough and over time by supporting your work and supporting other people's work um i think it trends towards a, a situation where you you tend to have less kind of problems occur but when they do for sure you, you're going to have an impact on anything that's BAU and ultimately you've got to plan for that you've got to have allowances you know don't um plan a project and say it's going to take exactly three months you know, not a day less, not a day more. It's uh, you got to build in allowances because things will pop up where you haven't quite got to that level yet, where it's um, kind of really smooth sailing. Definitely. Thank you. And Karim, do you want to add anything at all? Yeah, just one thing, just on what David said. I think um, a low-performing team can also go back to the individuals or as a team. They have to strongly believe in what they are releasing in the end. They should have clarity with regards to where they are going. And if an individual doesn't uh, feel confident about other individuals within the team, um, that can be confidence level, on the skills level, then that particular individual will just do his work, not caring about the other individuals as well. So that can also can bubble up and can lead to the performance as, as a team, not, not as an individual. It's important to gauge like what's actually issue is and also to make sure that uh, the team um, are aware of where they're heading towards it and also make sure they have clarity on overall goals they want to achieve that. That's really key as well for my side. That's amazing. Thank you. Brilliant. So we're going to move on to Tasha's question, which is autonomy and trust. How far do you go and the impact this makes to high performing teams? Um, so Tash, we'll start with yourself, please. That's your question. Yeah, one, one which is quite close to my heart. I'm probably going to um, own up to a few mistakes of my own in my early leadership career. Um, <laughs> it pro probably goes hand in hand with a little bit, um, I guess, my experience. So quite early on, a lot a lot of kind of the, the engineering practice that um, I worked with was, was mostly in a waterfall mode and rather than an, an agile practice. And I think that sometimes kind of lends itself to some of that more overly governed um command and control type of leadership style which we try and like move away from so for me moving away from that and moving into much more agile orientated leadership practices which is a lot more about for me having the right guardrails in place so some of the things that we do um within Sainsbury's as a as a tech organization we've got technical principles so we've got like if you like the 10 commandments i think we've actually got 12 <laughs> which we all try and, and adhere to. So, you know, we've got some strategies, for example, around cloud first, some some of the things that, that we architecturally that we want to adhere to and um, providing that as kind of like the, the the baseline, if you like, for all our engineers to operate within. And as long as they're operating within those areas, um, uh, it's giving giving them the freedom and the autonomy to make their their choices within those, if you like, guardrails. So they've got that freedom to, in terms of like the design and the approach, as long as it adheres to those, they, they can effectively build things in their own way. And it provides that autonomy and that, that you know, that trust. And I'm, 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 I'm de I am definitely hands off anyway as a head of engineering. But what it means is that for my principal engineer, he'll be able to like dip in and out and, you know, ensure that as a technical standards perspective, that anything that we're building adheres to that. It's giving them the freedom and the, the creativity, I think, um, more than anything else. And the, the 
ability to experiment. So I think, you know, in terms of autonomy and trust, I think that creativity and in innovation is always a big thing. Um, I think also from an autonomy perspective, the more that we're doing that, um, going back to that experimentation piece, it's allowing people to explore beyond the boundaries of their, their job titles. Um, I think I, as I've kind of like moved more towards my leadership career, particularly in the last like couple of years, I would say, there's definitely been a difference for me in how we've like moved away from more traditional, this is like your role and your job title to being a lot more all-encompassing. So, you know, pe people have the freedom to do a bit more than what's in their defined role, if you like, which I think is really important, especially, you know, we talk about, you know, T-shaping. So people will always have their 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 one like role function, which they're, they're expert at, but they'll have other other things that they'll that they'll pick up along the way that they, they can like do. So it might be that they've got a, a particular te technical skill set, which I do have in one team where in, in the Office 365 space, everyone can do some a lot of the admin related functions, but they'll they'll take on other aspects of that particular product, which means they can do things like video conferencing, they can do some expertise within SharePoint, et cetera. So they're becoming more multi-skilled. And I think that's what I think today's industry demands as well, is becoming a bit more multi-skilled. Um, so, so yeah, we're, we're, from that perspective, I think that that trust is like quite important, but operating within the confines of something so it's not overly governed. So it gives that that freedom is is quite important, and we're, we're quite lucky as well because we unusually have um, a bit more of a kind of agile finance governance process as well. So that really does like help, you know, in terms of our, our limitations of like if we want to experiment and and go out there and, and use other things like which aren't you know, different products and, and trial a few things. We're able to like do so, so we can actually truly innovate, um, which is really, I, I realise that's really lucky and it's not something which every organisation can do, but um, that does bring that kind of freshness into the organisation, that 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 culture of experimentation, which I think is um, always key. Uh, another thing that I will add in terms of like that autonomy and trust space and how far do you go, um, which I've learned, you know, through my own kind of failures in the past is when those mistakes happen don't punish them and actually the more that we fail the more we're learning and that's a good sign of experimentation so i'm always trying to support some of that and i think that's quite key and um, i don't know what what you guys think in terms of the autonomy and trust bit is um it's quite interesting isn't it as a leader in terms of how far you do go yeah definitely grim do you want to follow on from tash yeah, that's a good question, actually. This is the basis for any team to exist. I think I'll split it into two, the autonomy and trust. The degree of autonomy, it depends on how confident you feel about a team. And also, it's very case-by-case uh, -case basis. You can easily compare it to any automatic vehicles that we have. Even though it's like very best of technology, they expect you to be in touch from time to time or they disengage. So which is why I set up this guard rates around this team to check what's happening. It's also important to uh, observe and also sense check like how the team is going, getting on, are they in right directions. So there's a constant balance between uh, the autonomy that you're giving it and also how you're supporting it coming along. With regards to trust, uh, the trust should be there. Without that, a team merely exists. Um, for example, going back into the uh, more more into the Formula One, I think. Um, the pit stop, everyone trusts each other in replacing the tires. If one doesn't trust the other people, then it's just a costly, uh, costly mistake. So without having the basic level of trust, the team doesn't exist. So autonomy and trust should be the base for anyone building up the team. And how best you manage it, it depends on how confident you are, 
and how far do you want to go depending on the caliber of the team definitely brilliant and david over to yourself thank you um i, I love that formula one analogy um that's just a brilliant way of thinking about it um by and large i'm just gonna mirror everything that tesha said um you know it's it's all about guardrails really um you've got to align with everyone's capabilities so you know, if you've got a, a member of your team who's fresh out of university, two weeks on the job, you know, you don't want to give them complete autonomy over a massive project because that's that it's not going to succeed and it's also not very fair for them. Um, so, you know, you, you can give them the project, um, but you put some guardrails in place, you give them support from people who, you know, have more experience and they can help them you know to 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 be autonomous and more importantly as again as tesh said to make mistakes because you learn the most or at least i do you know the the my career has advanced the most in the uh the times when i've made the biggest mistakes um <laughs> because immediately following that i know that i'm not gonna do that again i'm not gonna you know kind of mess up that way again and that's when you start to think differently about things and when you you make those mistakes and you have the freedom to make those mistakes um, and you're learning, that's when you can become more confident um, in any autonomy that you're given. And, you know, you can um, go out and make a decision and try something knowing that it's probably not going to be a disaster. Um, and the thing about the guardrails here is that I, I think it's very important that we let people make mistakes so they can have that experience. I, I can tell you that if you do this, if you do X, Y will happen. And you might believe me, but you won't feel it. You know, it won't be an instinctive reflex for you to avoid doing that until you've felt the pain yourself. So it's it's an interest to let people fail, but we have to have the guardrails on to make sure that they don't fail too much in a way that derails the whole project, um, you know, puts the company under investigation or God knows what, you know, you've got to um, have some sensible limits on that. Uh, when we're looking at people who maybe do have that experience and they're, they're more senior and maybe that's your whole team, maybe you have a really high performing team and they're all, you know, they're all working great. You still want to have some guardrails on, but it's going to be more about just keeping them aligned, keeping them rowing in the same direction. Um, you know, you're probably going to leave the execution up to them um, and they can, you know, largely innovate and uh, do whatever they need to achieve the goal you've set them. But you've got to make sure they understand what the goal is. So the guardrails are still there. It's just in a different kind of form. Brilliant. Thank you. And would anyone like to add anything onto this point or this this question? It's probably what one that I left off because I talked quite a bit about from a from a trust perspective, um, from that, you know, leadership to the team. Um, you've got that that level of trust, but also there's the, the trust in the team of, of each other themselves as well, which is quite a fundamental part of, of that. How, how building high performing teams. And the one thing that, that I found, which some of the engineering managers have put into place and, and practice quite actively is um, something called a health check that we do. Um, so it's a, it's, a month, it's a monthly thing that they basically do with the team. It's a bit more of an agile type practice um, yeah, for, for those of you who are, who are running that in your teams. Um, but you know, it, they will, the engineering manager will basically collect a whole bunch of a series of questions, which will be about, okay, with this particular sprint, um, how do you think we delivered? Um, what did you learn? There's all these, and it's asking each in, in each individual to to answer very honestly um, about how things have gone 
and, and in, in real time, then that's basically played back so that each other's views are represented. We can we can score like the happiness of the team. And there's some real like um, revelation, I think, that comes from that in terms of um, being open and um, embedding more of that trust in that team because, you know, they're hearing each other's point of view. So again, coming back to that, every voice is important is really like key so that we get to hear each other's point of view and actually what what can we do as individuals a bit better next time and so actually all of us are, are, as a team can improve our our health score as well and, and it's worked really well actually and um, to measure that as and it's not it's not and no, no one else is you know measuring them they're measuring themselves of how they're scoring that's that's been a real key enabler in terms of that trust piece and, and making that happen which in turn does build high-performing teams. Definitely. Brilliant. Um, David, Crimge, would you like to add anything on? Yeah, just have one thing. Um, it also depends on cases. For example, let's say you have a team of not so experienced engineers. I'm not sure how far you would set the guardrails. Maybe you are the guardrails when don't you have this team of experienced engineers um, because they would expect some kind of support from you. Um, setting up the guardrails itself may be a hindrance to them being more autonomy, um, not giving them any trust. So, it all like case by case basis. You have to look at like how far you can go on setting up this guardrail for the respective team, and maybe you can set up hard rules as well. And it's quite important that the team uh, understand what those guardrails are before they can start executing it. That's amazing. Yeah. So clear, clear visions and goals. And I think that's what we've touched on quite a lot throughout this podcast is knowing that your team actually knows what the end goal is or the goal for that certain project um, so that everyone can work more closely together. Um, so Tash, I know that you had a, another question that you may want to run by the panel. Um, do you want to go ahead and, and yeah. ask that yourself? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, I guess what, what, what I want to, to, to ask this, this panel is once we get to like this Nirvana place, hopefully of the high performing team and um, what are the steps that we think we need to do in terms of sustaining that that, that performance as well and um, so we don't become complacent and um, because yeah it would be a shame wouldn't it you, you've done all that work and then you know you could easily take take a bit of a backward step so i guess the the, the question is like what's the, the key components of like that sustainability in in your view david do you want to start on that yeah i i think you um, in, in my view, kind of answered it in the question. It's not becoming complacent. Um, you know, always have a fresh set of eyes on it. Um, in, in two senses, um, in, in the sense that you're constantly reassessing, reevaluating. Um, you know that you're doing. Um, you know, performance reviews, health checks, three sixties, those kind of things, and you, you're picking up. You know, potential issues early on. Um, but also, you know, thinking about actual fresh sets of eyes, you know, um, even if a company's not growing, they're going to be hiring on a regular basis because just regular attrition, you know, people leaving and joining to replace them. You have a, most companies have a fairly steady stream of, um, you know, kind of new people coming in who can, um, you know, they're not used to the, the ways of working. They won't have, um, you know, kind of, um, bought in you know they won't have drunk the kool-aid yet they will have a completely fresh perspective on how things are are running and i think the closer you are to anything um you know to any solution anything that you've built and that thing you built could be a team the closer you are to it the you know the more blind you can become to um, where the cracks are starting to show because you they they 
it emerged so slowly. You don't come into work one day and everything's on fire. It's just a, a million tiny little things that gradually erode and they happen before your eyes and they happen so slowly that you don't realise. But someone coming in who doesn't have all of that kind of memory of what it was like and they've not been witnessing it in slow motion, someone else coming in can look at it and say, this doesn't look quite right. Is, is there some area for improvement here? Why is this process like this? Uh, why are we not doing X, Y, or Z? So I, I think it's just about constantly reassessing, not becoming complacent, and being open to accepting that just because you've built this thing, um, that doesn't mean automatically that the job's finished. You know, in fact, maybe that's just the start of it. You've finished, you know, phase one, and then the next phase is it's a bit like software, isn't it? Software development lifecycle. We go on to maintenance, and then we reassess. We get feedback. We, get, we you know, take the agile approach. We go back. We go back to building and fixing. It's the same with teams, I feel. Brilliant. Great answer. Karim, do you want to add something to that? I think for me, the sustainability starts within the team and within the individuals. I think um, everyone has to have a confidence and should be self-aware of what their strengths and weaknesses are. So, And the team should aware of what each individual strengths and weaknesses are so that they can counterbalance it if something goes off the track. So in order to sustain for the long, long run, everyone has to showcase what they are, what they can do, what they cannot do. In case of scenario where they cannot do, this someone has to take up and, and then balance the workload. That's the only way you keep them linearly upwards. If the team is not aware about like what the strengths are, what the weaknesses are, and definitely it's going to have some dip in, dip in the process. So having your self-awareness and feeling confident and wherever they, they feel they're not confident, it's quite important to expose it within the team so that they can all help uh, everyone, each other, and move in the same direction instead of everyone pulling the thread in opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And Tesh, would you like to um, add any any subtopics or anything in terms of, of that question? Um, yes, I was just th- thinking about that whole sustaining piece. Um, I think so for, for me, when I've been, when I think back in my, my time in like engineering, the mo- mobility of staff, and I think David, you mentioned it about uh, nudging people to go outside, outside of their comfort zone as well. Um, is is a really key theme for me. Um, so, so some of the things that I've been looking at and and, and trying to do is mobilise people by doing trying trying to be creative with with things like whether it's like shadowing or 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 more formal secondments and um, by keeping those teams fresh and in, and you know injecting um, new talent in in different ways because um, yeah it's not it's not always about all. Oh, someone's going to leave and then you're going to fill that pulse with some with with somebody else that you're going to you know get externally or or indeed you know promotion from within um it's about how to find that that creativity of, of like mobilizing people and the other thing i did forget to mention actually in some of the other things um is around succession planning as well um which is like really key um so you know making sure that it, you know if, if any if any of us get run run under a bus We've got a really, we've got a really stable, you know, succession planning there, which is an active one. It's not just one that we, you know, put put some names on a paper and, and job is done. But we've got a, a proper development plan that sits behind it, and um, you know, with, with proper timelines, um, is really really key. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a massive fan and advocate of uh, of stuff like that for sure. Definitely, prepare to fail or fail to uh, fail to prepare is you're preparing to fail. I got to do it wrong way round. <laughs> um, does anyone want to add anything at all, or um, bring anything from the other questions to light, or anything like that? Does anyone want to add anything? I think I'll just add some quickly to uh, what Tesh said. Um, you know, I, I agree with pushing um, kind of outside your comfort zone, and there's there's something that I 
you know, I say it and I say, I say it often. I um, say it to people I'm mentoring. I say it to colleagues, friends. I say, if you find that you're the smartest person in the room, that's great. But maybe try and find a new room. You know, <laughs> you need to constantly be um, pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. And sometimes that takes the form of, of leaving the company and, you know, getting fresh blood in with new perspectives, new ideas. You know, you can never have too much diversity of thought um in a team um but you know obviously you don't want your people to leave so you know to help keep them excited and energized and refreshed you know are there opportunities internally as i think tesh was alluding to where they can go and explore things they can take on responsibilities they haven't had before and they can improve and upskill through that and you know that works good for you it works good for them um because, you know, career progression really is something that's important, even if people aren't particularly career minded. You know, you, you never want to stagnate, especially in an industry that moves as quickly as we do, as ours does. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the, one other aspect that um, I had written down and I completely forgot to mention, which is... Um, completely relevant to high performing teams is celebrating success and it always is yeah. the it almost feels like one of those things which is always at the back of the queue um because you've always got other priorities but you know it's something that you know definitely as a leader we should be constantly you know nudging that and um ensuring that you know when these when these good things land and all the effort that's been put in you know we absolutely must call people out and call teams out and celebrate that success and um, so yeah i think yeah. we really yeah i forgot to mention it completely so um yeah and something i i must do you know make time for and, and do do much better at as well yeah in my um my previous role i was a cto of a small startup and every friday we ran what we called a little wins session where we would gather around and we would all just celebrate the little things that have gone right for us. You know, and in a startup, you need to celebrate things because it's more more downs than ups. Um, and that was that was really good because it wasn't, uh, I mean, as Tash said, you do need to kind of call out the successes of people, but it was also empowering people to talk about their own successes and to celebrate those. And, um, you know, we, we found that to be really important for the, the team to kind of well, to work well together, to to gel, to to know a bit about what was important to each other and what were, you know, they were kind of struggling with as well and what they've overcome. Yeah. Definitely, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think it's one of the primary motivation factor for uh, individuals. So the timing has to be perfect. Uh, there's no excuse in delaying on celebrating the successes. Maybe you can delay the failures to like talk to them in in person, but as soon as you saw someone as performing as you need to um, give them some kind of kudos to the back. It's important that you do it at the right time because people expect and that is when, that will boost their confidence to the roof once you give it a clue. Definitely and ultimately making them more high performing. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I just want to thank every single one of you to, for coming on here um, and taking the time out of your very busy schedules um, to come on and provide your insights into the topic. Um, if you've got if you've not got anything to um add now, I'll end it on a high. Um and yeah, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. And I just really again thank you so much for coming on and spending the time to speak about these topics. I know you are all busy. Um and it's been really great to hear your insights and the backgrounds and your views on all the questions in hand. Um so thank you again.